All right, I have my cousin Margaret with me. Margaret, can you tell me how old you are? I am nine years old. Nine years old, wow. Okay, Margaret, can you tell me, do you know how to boil an egg? Um, not really. I'm not exactly allowed to go with boiling water. It's Okay. So you do you help, help your mom cook in the kitchen at all? Yes. I do know how to cook scrambled eggs and a few other things. Gotcha. What's your favorite thing to cook? Um, not exactly sure. There's still so much you haven't learned to cook yet, right? Right. Well, thank you for answering my question. That's all for now. One, two. Let's sit down and talk about your story. I'll show you that you're far from boring. Life's a whole lot better when you share with someone that cares. This is Happy Talks. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Happy Talks. This is Aaron. And I'm Justin. And I met Justin through my church. You know a good friend of mine, Ian. Mm-hmm, I do. And you came with him. And are you staying with him right now? Uh, no, I just, um, I still drive down from home uh, okay. from Philadelphia every weekend. So I, I crashed there on the weekends, but I'm still in Philadelphia. Okay. So, so what brought you here? Well, it was really, really funny. Um, it was actually Celebrate Recovery that led me to Foundry. Um, I had been involved with Celebrate Recovery in the past. Uh, and I just fell in love with the ministry and the message and the concept of it all. And um, it is something that I had been, uh, I had found myself far away from yeah. uh, because there weren't many local chapters around home. So it was actually something that I had been seeking uh, God for um, in my prayer time. I was actually praying for God to open the door to lead me back to celebrate recovery because it had been about a year since I'd been involved with CR. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, I mean, it was totally a God thing. Like I began yeah. to pray and seek that uh, specifically in my life. And then God just literally opened a door to Foundry. Yeah. Um, and then they just kind of adopted me. So Wow. Uh, so it was literally a God thing that led me both back to CR and to Foundry in the process. That's awesome. Is it a long drive for you? Like- uh, it's, it's about an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, depending on traffic. So it's not too bad. Okay. And you go both like to church service and to CR. Yeah, I do. I come down on the weekend. I come down every weekend now for the weekend, uh, and I do CR on Saturday night, and then I do church on Sunday, and then I go home Sunday evening. Okay. So, yeah, I pretty much spend my weekends in Jackson now. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Do you have uh, a lot of family in Philadelphia? Uh, Yeah, uh, pretty much my whole family is there, and I've got relatives, um, you know, that live, you know, beyond Philadelphia, but that's where we're from. A lot of us are still there. Some of us are spread out. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, most of my immediate family is there. Okay. So where does your story start? Does your story start in Philadelphia or? Uh, it does. Um, and, and ironically, you know, my story, my life story starts in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I come from a very typical Southern family, was raised in church, did church, quote unquote, our whole lives. We were very religious. Uh, we were pretty morally straightforward people. You know, we, we try to be good and decent people. Um, and my grandmother uh, on my dad's side, uh, who is who passed a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. she was like my best friend in the whole world. I was probably closer to her than I was to anybody else on the planet. We had a very, very beautiful relationship. Yeah. Um, and very early on in my life, my grandmother saw a, a calling to the kingdom in my life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
you know, she felt very strongly about it. She was very passionate about it. Um, and, and she was, she was the kind of person, she was the epitome of the character of Christ. I've never known anybody in my life that was so Christ-like as her. Um, so if, if anybody ever went to heaven, I know she did, <laughs> but, uh, she told me from a very early age that, you know, God had, um, God had just given her this, this strong confirmation that I was marked for the service of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to make a long story short, you know, I spent a lot of the majority of my life running from that calling, which most people typically do. Um, you know, but I always felt very aware of the Lord, even at a young age. Uh, I, uh, it wasn't like it wasn't like this foreign, um, you know, concept or, or like some kind of a fantasy based concept. I just I always felt a very you know, matter-of-fact piece about the Lord, even from an early age. Um, I felt that I knew Him personally very young. I felt very close to Him. Um, And, you know, I would love to say I'm one of those people that just had an average All-American upbringing that nothing bad ever happened in my life. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, You know, I went through a lot of things in my life, uh, more so at an early age. Um, You know, and and those are some of the things I want to talk about tonight in sharing not just my story, but my testimony about what God's done for me and where he's brought me from. But um, but I I was born into a very, very typical American family where, you know, you know, boys and men were expected to be tough and, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionless and show no weakness or show, you know, no vulnerability. Um, And it was a very common system that I was raised in. And Mm -hmm. um Unfortunately, at about age eight, and, and of course, I, I could go into, you know, painstaking detail, but for the sake of time, I'm going to try to stay pretty paraphrasing. Um, but around age, age eight, I fell victim to a predator mm-hmm. um, as a child. And um, at the time, it was it was very common with, you know, as is the common custom with me, it was the same thing. It was a trusted individual, someone that was known personally, that was known very well. In fact, it was a distant relative. Mm-hmm. And so that began a chain of events in my life uh, that would, you know, be pressed down and recessed in memory that would not resurface for quite some time. Um, And uh, that also led, as I came into my, you know, prepubescent years, my teenage years, um, you know, like a lot of young men do in America, you know, as I hit puberty and started becoming a teenager, um, I started uh, struggling with pornographic addiction, oh. um, you know, and I was introduced to that around age 10 um, because it was in the home. It was a very common thing in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some very, um, you know, chauvinistic, um, narcissistic, uh, you know, undertones in my family with the men, yeah. you know, with the examples of men that me and my brother and my cousins got to see growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, we were raised in a very man's man environment. So um, a very typical and cliche, you know, attitude towards women and, and sexuality and those, all those things that can be taken matter-of-factly when along with our raising. So pornography was never very far away. And you have to keep in mind, I'm 34. This was before yeah. the dawn of the Internet revolution where it still came in the form of homemade VHS tapes that were recorded um, on, on VCR yeah. and magazines. It was not as accessible as it is today, mm-hmm. and even still, it found its way to me. Uh, and 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 I actually, I detest it in every facet, you know, because I, I think it's disgusting. I think it's destructive. I think it's I think it's a very powerful tool of the enemy. And keeping in mind the environment I was raised in, you know, we didn't talk about stuff. We didn't deal with stuff. You know, we just we pretended like stuff wasn't there. 
and hopefully it went away. And so I was raised in this duality of dysfunction and, you know, multi-generational issues. But at the same time, we were all religious and we love God and we go to church and, you know, we have this outward facade of being this all-American typical family. So suffice it to say that I suffered in silence for years. You know, the emotional, mental rigors that goes with surviving um, child sexual abuse and then coupled with the almost guaranteed uh, wrestling match with pornographic addiction, uh, I was very mentally and emotionally in a mess most of my life. Um, And my grandmother... Uh, that I referenced earlier, you know, she prayed and sowed and spoke into my life, you know, so devoutly through all those troubled years. And and I credit her with being the reason I'm here today. Um, But, you know, as I grew older and I realized I was on my own, I realized I was going to have to figure out a solution myself. Um, And so being very, being blessed by God, be very intellectual and very intelligent, I basically started handling it from a research point of view. It's like, okay, this is what happened. Um... This is what, this is going to, you know, this is the recourse of it. And if if left untreated or undone something about, this is where it could lead to. And I know I don't want to wind up there. Yeah. So I basically educated myself um, on my way to self-rehabilitation through these years. Uh, of course, I kept it a very dark secret, very deep secret. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I was very ashamed. I didn't want anybody to know. But it wreaked havoc on my life in many, many ways. Um, and I always, everybody always said I was very intelligent that I had a lot of potential that I could have literally become anything or I wanted to do in life that I wanted to be. But over the next 20 something years, I lived my life in a squander and just, you know, never being able to, um, pick a plan or a path for my life and stick to it. Never actually amounting, no, nothing I ever did ever produced anything. I was one of those people that seemed like, you know, um, just everything I touched turned to failure and like there was something wrong. People, I was just a, a, a wandering wasteland, like, you know, just drifting my way through life. And people, people as I grew older, people looked at me and they said, you know, he, he was young and intelligent and like he, he was a great kid and he comes from a great family. Like he, there was all these great factors and then he just kind of basically turned into like the prodigal son, you know, we wound up in the pig pen of life. But we don't know why he, of all people, wound up there. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense. Something's not adding up. And so, um, to make a long story short, uh, you know, I, I eventually got to a point to where I married. I married very quickly, very, very unwisely. I married for all the wrong reasons. Mm. Wound up in a troubled marriage. Um, what reasons were those? Well, because um, I would abstain from, you know, any, you know, intimate contact with a woman mm-hmm. at a certain point I would not I would not endeavor into that because it was a triggered response because of what I endured as a child yeah. and um, when I eventually you know conceded to to have that experience with someone I feel very emotionally attached yeah. very hard very fast yeah. uh, we rushed into it uh, we didn't know each other um, so it was really like on moral grounds. And it was a codependency thing, too, because I would later find out that I was actually bipolar one with manic depression, mm-hmm. that I had codependency issues. Um, I had, a, I mean, I had a whole plethora of mental health issues that I didn't know about yet yeah. as a result of having been abused and then struggling very toxically with pornographic addiction for nearly two and a half decades. Um, I didn't know terms like bipolar or codependent mm-hmm. or narcissistic or 
you know, any of these things yet because we didn't talk about stuff like that. And I didn't know that there were names for what was wrong with me. I just always knew there was something terribly wrong with me that somewhere along the way something had gotten broken and I didn't know how to fix it. Yeah. Um, and so my my ex-wife and I had a very troubled marriage. It only lasted a couple of years. Um, and basically I, I wound up recreating the same sociopathic, narcissistic, chauvinistic, a dysfunctional environment that I had grown up in, the one that the one that was really existent behind closed doors all those years, um, and and I didn't. The thing is, I knew I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to recreate that. But I didn't know how to do or be anything different because one of my trauma responses was learning that dysfunction and chaos was normal. Yeah. I mean, that was normal to me. So mm-hmm. that's that. I basically recreated that in my own home and marriage. Um, you know, and then uh, of course the marriage ended in divorce a couple of years ago, and and there's there's zero civility between her mother and I. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to be a wrestling match, pretty much. It's one of those marriages that ended so terribly. Um, you know, I, I try to navigate through it the best I can with my faith because I'm, I'm a lot different person now than I was back then. But um, but you know, there's there's zero degree of civility between her mother and I. It's it's contortion and friction all the way, and it's probably going to be a never-ending thing, unfortunately, because we were both so broken. And I learned a lot about her. My wife at the time, she was very broken and struggled with a lot of the same issues from her past that I did. Yeah. So we were two very toxic, broken people trying to make a life out of fragments. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, I got to the point to where. Um, you know, I got tired of people in my hometown calling me a village idiot and mm-hmm. referring to me as that guy that's, you know, that boy just, he ain't all there. Something, something's not quite right about him. He's not playing with a full deck. Because by the time I was in my mid to late 20s, I knew what was wrong. You know, something very terrible had been done to me. Um, it had never been brought to light. It had never been um, exposed. It had never been dealt with. Mm-hmm. But people were quick to throw stones. Nobody wanted to help me for a long time or address the fact that I had been victimized as a child. Um, but they were sure quick to throw stones, yeah. you know, to be, to pronounce themselves as my judge and juror, you know, and that angered me. So for a long time, I struggled with a lot of bitterness and anger. Um, and when I eventually went public about the realities of, of my, my childhood and what happened, um, it caused such public outcry and shame with my family and my community. I was actually forcibly sent through court to a mental institution for 61 days. Wow. And so there again, I became very, very bitter and very angry because it was like the people that should have loved me and cared about me the most didn't care all those years when I was a child and a troubled teenager. And at the time, it was like they didn't care then that I'm to, to help me get the, the, the help or the corrective rehabilitation that I needed. Yeah. But when I became a public embarrassment, then it was like they, they put it, it felt like I was put away, you know, to be dealt with to save face or to, you know, to save the family and the community from looking bad. And that angered me. Yeah. So I harbored a lot of bitterness and resentment for a lot of years. But one of the things that really came out of that was I was finally able to be introduced to the mental health system Mm -hmm. and diagnosis and clinical approaches to things. And, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, you know, this is why this is what's going on inside of you. This is why it's going on. This is what it's called. Here's how we fix that. Here's how we get you back to leading a normal life. So then all of a sudden, as a a person inside the system, I began to realize that, um, you know, I was starting to develop a burden in my heart for Mm -hmm. mental health because there's such a stigma about it. Right. 
you know, and I've learned along my life's journey. I just recently turned 34 that we are, are, and thanks to Celebrate Recovery, you know, our identity is not found in our traumas or our abuses or our sins. Mm -hmm. Those are things that happened along the way of our life, but that's Mm -hmm. not who we are because that's not who God says we are. And, of course, I had tried religion to, quote, unquote, fix me my whole life, but it never really worked. But I found later that one of the reasons why God supposedly never did anything about what was going on in my life is because I was never at a place of complete surrender. Mm -hmm. And I tried to fill the void and the brokenness and the hurt inside me with so many things. And I was one of those guys who, after a while, I got tired of being labeled so poorly by the public. So, like, I was going to go out and conquer the world and, like, make a million dollars and show everybody what a big shot I could be and prove myself to people, you know, and redeem myself, so to speak. Um, And that was an illusion because if if I would have ever been able to redeem myself, Christ would have had to come and die and go to Mm -hmm. Calvary to redeem Mm -hmm. me for me. And so I was trapped in this illusion that, um, you know, I could accomplish enough or do enough or prove to people enough to somehow level the scales. And so I got trapped in wanting this world. Yeah. And it seemed like the deeper I got in pursuing this world and the deeper I got in trying to rectify me and fix me, the further I got away from the cross. Yeah. And um, it got to a point of such lukewarm back and forth, you know, religious um, you know, put on for so long that my heart and my conscience had gotten seared. I was so angry at God. I was so bitter at God. I was angry at people. I had just gotten to the point to where, um, you know, the only um, emotional tie that I had left was my daughter. Mm. Um, and like I said, I had, I had been involved with CR before, yeah. and I had fallen in love with it. Because CR is not just for somebody um, with an alcohol problem or substance abuse problem. It teaches us how to deal with life's habits, hurts, and hang-ups. So Saturate Recovery is for anyone who has anything in their life that they can't handle on their own. Mm -hmm. And what I love about CR is that there is no sweeping it under the rug or hiding it behind the curtains with Saturate Mm -hmm. Recovery. Um, The two facets of it are accountability and community. Um, Through through men's small group and women's small group. And what you do is you come in... And you talk about what's really going on in your life, you know, and it was weird for me to see men come out admitting vulnerability and addiction and complex and, you know, feelings and hurts and, you know, weaknesses and struggles, you know, and then all of a sudden I began to find out that, you know, there were other people out there like me. There were other men who had been molested as a child or had struggled very shamefully with pornographic addiction or sexual addiction. Um... And so that calling that my grandmother had told me when I was a kid, it was never far from the back of my mind. And it seemed like the more I tried to deny it, the more God gave me evidence that there was, in fact, a kingdom purpose on my life. And so a few months ago, I realized, um, in November, I realized that I had gotten to a point to where I was so far from God, I couldn't hardly hear His voice anymore. Um, My heart had become so seared that it was numb. To his spirit, like nothing, nothing made any dent anymore. And I realized I had gotten into a very purgatory type place in terms of my faith. And I knew that I was in a place that if I didn't find a way back to God pretty soon, then, you know, the phone might stop ringing and he might quit trying to, you know, he might eventually quit calling. Mm -hmm. And so I completely laid my life down before God. Um, You know, I had recommitted my life to the Lord so many times I lost count. I think I've been (laughs) baptized like 15 times. I've said the sinner's prayer like 150 times, but my whole life, looking at my life, I would I would think about what Paul said. You know, I had done all these things. I went through the checklist. I'd done all this religious exercise, 
but there never really was any true change. I was never a new creature in Christ. I was never something other than what I was. Yeah. I had never really truthfully, radically experienced the person of Jesus Christ on a, on a personal level. And somehow that happened in November of, of last year. And so I laid everything down. And I told God that I literally wanted no more say-so in how my life went. I wanted no more say-so in calling the shots, making the decisions. I was done with big million-dollar plans and trying to pursue the world that I had come to a place to where the world literally had no more lure for me. Yeah. You know, and I'd gotten really involved in music growing up. I've, I've always wanted to cut records and go to Nashville, and I've tried to do that and fall on flat on my face a million times. And I've always had these big plans, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to conquer the world. I mean, and I was known as that guy who, like, every week he had a different, like, get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> so I told God, I said, God, my ways don't work. My plans don't work. My, yeah. you know, my schemes don't work. You know, my my endeavors and, and my opportunities and the things I say, okay, we're going to do this. I said, they always end in utter failure and I fall flat on my face. I, I can't fix me and I don't know what's best for me. Yeah. I don't know what path to take. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with this life you've given me and I'm 33 years old. All I've ever done is make a wreck out of it. I've wrecked it over and over and over and over and over. So maybe try your way now. <laughs> and, and when you come to a place to where you tell God, okay, I'm giving up total interest. Like, you know, I, I'm in business now. I'm running I run my, run my own small business as a general handyman and a home remodeler guy. It's like, you know, I have no investors. I have no board, no, um, board of directors. It's all me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look at this from a corporate standpoint, when you give up controlling interest of an entity, that means you get zero say-so anymore. Um, and so I told God, I said, I'm giving you total control. Like, I'm surrendering I'm to the full authority of your will for my life. You know, I'm not going to hang out bars anymore. I'm not going to go chase record deals. And I'm not going to do this and this and this. I'm, I'm literally laying my life down at the foot of the cross, and I'm giving it to you. You do what you want to with it. Um, and one thing about it is over the years of my life, I had shared my story a lot. And um, in a lot more greater detail than I've done here tonight. Um, and what always shocked me was how often and how prevalent predators, you know, attacking children are. So, in fact, unfortunately, it's a very common thing in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I would even call it a pandemic yeah. because um, I had read statistics on it. So I can't remember, but I it was like once every four minutes or once every 12 minutes, a child is attacked by a predator. Um, I've read studies on it for years. Um, because through CR, I learned that the first step in dealing with the problem is identifying it and then educating yourself. You know, yeah. that that's one of the steps to recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I was shocked because I was like, if, if basically kids are getting molested all over the world every day, like, why are we so complete? Like, why are we so comfortable with, with zero accountability? Why are we not in... You know, cry, why is there not a public outcry for this? You know, why are we not marching in the streets? Why, are, why is everybody just sitting here looking the other way, pretending everything is okay? Yeah. Why do people pretend this doesn't happen? You know, um, so I found out that it's a very common thing. And then with the digital age, and now kids as young as eight years old have an iPhone in their hands, you know, internet porn is rapidly accessible, excuse me. And I think I read in a study one time that um, pornography is scientifically and medically as addictive and destructive as any drug. Mm. And so young minds are very powerful. And so when you have children getting a hold of porn, 
it starts destroying them from the inside out very early on. Yeah. And so I found all these things going on, but nobody was nobody was standing up speaking out. Mm-hmm. And so then through my through my personal travail in life, I used to be so angry at God and used to be so bitter at God because I was like, God, why did you let that happen to me? Why did you let me go through that? Why did you abandon me all those years? Mm-hmm. Why was I why, why was I forced to go through that alone? Why didn't you shield me? Why didn't you protect me? And what I wound up seeing in the end is that God walked through that with me every single day, every yeah. single trial, every single hurt. He never left my side. In fact, it, my life was so painful that by age nine, I was already contemplating suicide. Wow. And yet the only reason I'm here today is because God, in fact, did not abandon me, but he was there with me walking through the fire every single day. Yeah. And then he placed a calling on my life. He, he gave me a, a passionate heart for evangelism. Mm-hmm. And so then that, that heart for evangelism turned into a heart for advocacy. After I came out of the mental health system, I was rehabilitated. You know, after I began talking with people and sharing my journey of survival, others began finding hope in my life mm-hmm. story. And I was like, you know, there's a, there's a need here. Somebody needs yeah. to be willing to put their personal comfort and embarrassment aside and be willing to step forward and speak. Somebody needs to be a voice for those with no voice. Yeah. Somebody needs to be, you know, willing to be a voice of hope and reason and encouragement for others. You know, because this is one of the worst things about this particular thing in life. If this is what you struggle with, um it gets all of its power and its catalyst from silence and shame. Yeah. You know, if we're not talking about it, if we're not opening up to people about it, if we're not saying, hey, I struggle with pornography or, hey, I was I was victimized as a child, that's the worst thing you could do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, in, in my, in my um, suffering, I found a purpose. I found a calling. And that eventually led me to celebrate recovery. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what I thought was the worst thing in the world that could have happened to me actually opened a door in the kingdom to become not only an advocate and a voice, but, you know, an instrument of God's will. Mm-hmm. And and I can serve the kingdom through advocacy for mental health and, you know, exploited children and then men, you know, of any age that suffer with pornographic addiction. Yeah. So, and, and I, I love, I love the contemporary Christian song that says that, um, yeah, I can't think of the name. I was trying to look the lyrics up on Google search on the way here, but I love it how they say that he'll take what the enemy meant for evil and he'll turn it for good. Mm, yeah. And, you know, the very thing that was supposed to have destroyed my life, you know, is what God wound up using to save my life. Yeah. And then I'm able to stand here today and say, you know, the enemy tried to take me out, but I'm a survivor. I made it. Amen. You know, I'm still here. But now I have a duty and an obligation to the kingdom to take my story of survival and, and share my story of hope that, hey, I survived. You know, these things should have been the end of me. They should have killed me. They should have took me out. You know, the enemy tried and failed. God brought me through, and I'm still here today. I survived these things. So now I have an obligation to take that and go back for the others. You know, other guys like me that are told, you know, you can't talk about it if you have feelings. You can't talk about it struggling with stuff you know if you're struggling with pornography that's just part of being a man you know men like women men like sex you know that's just part of your masculinity well that is a lie from the pit of hell because Mm -hmm. god has called us of all of the men of the kingdom as husbands as fathers god has called us to set the tone and the pace for purity and righteousness in our own homes in fact the word teaches us that we will be held accountable for the spiritual 
um, accountability of our wives and children that we are, in fact, supposed to lead them. So we are supposed to live with prudence and self-control and purity and righteousness. And so if the devil's got us all tangled up on, on a porno website at 2 a.m. when our, our families are in the bed asleep, you know, that's if he attacks us, then he attacks the family. He attacks mm-hmm. the home. Yeah. You know, you take out the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Men have a very, very big responsibility in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, the word teaches us that. And so God has given me a heart to go back and take my story and share it with other men and, you know, say it's okay to open up and say that I have a problem or that I can't do this. And so the Lord very literally took the thing that the enemy meant to destroy me with. And he gave me a testimony um, that is so powerful yeah. and it's so wonderful and so shows just how big and able God is and how much God can love us beyond our scars and our sins and our addictions. Um it, it speaks volumes about his character that he could still want us and love us after all that. He took that and he gave me something that equipped me to change lives for the kingdom of Christ. Yeah. And so now through Celebrate Recovery, um, I am able to find continued encouragement and growth for my own life. But I'm also able to serve as an advocate um, for those areas of tri- uh, things uh, that people struggle with, both mental health and, and you know, sexual addiction and, and surviving uh, a child predator, um, yeah. you know, a pedophile. Um, I'm able to be a, a voice for those without the voice or a voice of their own. I'm, I'm able to bring hope to those that have no hope because I can share my life story with one person mm-hmm. and say, hey, look, I went through this too. And I went through it for almost 30 years before I found my freedom. You know, this fight can be won. You can find freedom and purity in your body, in your mind, in your life. Through Christ, it can be done. Because I did it. Mm -hmm. And so now, whereas I used to be ashamed, I used to not like talking about my life story and the things that went on, I actually look for ways to share my testimony and to use my testimony for the kingdom. And when God brought me to Foundry through Celebrate Recovery, He brought me to a place that actively promotes evangelism, being the mm-hmm. hands and feet of Christ. And so He He lit the fire of evangelism in my heart very long ago. Um, and then He lit the fire in my heart for advocacy for the kingdom. And so then He led me after praying, God, send me to a place. This is what I'm seeking. Send me to a place where this can happen. He literally led me to a, a church family that is all about training people up and sending them back out into the world yep. <laughs> to go be the hands and feet of Christ. So it's, it was all a God thing uh, my whole life that I thought was a mistake and that I was abandoned. The whole time God had a plan. He knew exactly what he was doing. you know. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm in a place where I'm literally being used as a survivor mm-hmm. you know, to bring hope to others to bring a message of, you know, reconciliation and restoration to others who were where I used to be. Yeah. You know, and, and the terrible thing about it is I had to suffer in silence for so long because nobody wanted to deal with it or talk about it or acknowledge it. And that was one of the most painful things is that I had to go through it alone yeah. for the most part for so long. And if you can imagine being a child carrying that burden and feeling like you have nobody to turn to or nowhere to run. Yeah, it's scary. It's a very terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the exhaustion that comes with having to put on that I love Lucy Brady Bunch performance for everybody yeah. so that they see, you know, that model American family when really you're going through a living hell behind closed doors every day of your life. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it's, oh man, it's crucifying. 
So now I can go to those other people who, who feel the way I used to feel and say, hey, look, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to go through it alone like I did. You don't have to suffer in silence and shame. You're going to beat this, and you can beat it because I, I did. Through God, through Christ, I was able to beat it. And in fact, not only am I going to promise you that you're going to beat it, I'm going to help you get there. Yeah. And so I've already, you know, not to brag, but God has, has already used my life, and my life has been so instrumental in the last few years with helping other people find, you know, avenues to things like Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. or mental health options or things like that. And they, they say every time every time God sends me somebody like that, they tell me, thank you so much for being brave enough to speak up and share your story. Mm-hmm. Because if you didn't talk, we would have never guessed you and went through what you went through because you hide it so well. But mm-hmm. because you were, built a, you were willing to be, um, excuse me, because you were willing to be transparent, because yeah. you were willing to share the painful, dark, ugly things about you, um, I was able to find my way. Like I was able to find the help I needed because somebody somebody was brave enough to speak out. And yeah. so now I embrace my testimony, mm-hmm. you know, because um, what I used to think was the most hideous, shameful, dirty thing about me was actually the most beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's beauty in our scars. Absolutely. You know, and in, in, in our scar, in the beauty of our scars, we see the love of the Savior. And we see the grace of the Savior. Yeah. And, and we, see, we see the mercy of the Savior. You know, so I'm thankful for the scars as much as it hurt to, to have earned them. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I look at them now, I just see the cross. And I see God mm-hmm. saving my life all over again. And then not only saving my life, but giving me tools I needed to go back and be a fisher of men, um, quite literally, um, and, and help lead others to the cross. Um, and so now I'm just, uh, today I am not Justin Snow, a survivor of pornographic addiction, or Justin Snow, an eight-year-old little boy who fell victim to a pedophile. I am Justin Snow, a child of the Most High God. Mm-hmm. I belong to Him. That's my identity. Yes. That's where my identity is found. I am who He says I am. Absolutely. And the things the enemy tried to use to, to destroy my life, they never were my identity in the first place. No. Nope. They were just things that happened along life's way that God turned around and used for His glory. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm excited about my future and my life and just being able to be... And, and I finally did realize that my grandmother was right. That God had called me to the <laughs> kingdom. And I surrendered um, unequivocally to whatever He has for me. Um, and at this point, he is, he's made, made very um, obvious that I'm to serve through Celebrate Recovery. Uh, in the near future, I, I do think that there are some things in the works for me to attend seminary and to go into a more formal, official, credentialed form of ministry. Mm-hmm. But, um, but those things are still, th- those things will come in his timing. Um, as of right now, I'm just called to literally be an advocate yeah. And to be an open, transparent testimony for others like me so that others like me may find their hope and may find their way to, to redemption and restoration um, in Christ. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at tonight, where I've been from, from the time I was born to where I'm at now, 34 years later. I mean, that's, that's my life. Yeah. And that's what God's done for me. That's where he's brought me from. That's really awesome. Do you have any advice for people that... To, in order to like prevent things like this from happening, like yeah. anything you could tell some people? There are a couple things I would urge because I am a parent myself. Number one, children of a certain age don't need a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
um, especially an iPhone or an Android, where the internet's just a click away. Yeah. Because not only are there websites, but there are predators on social media putting up fake profiles. And, and some of these people are pros. They know what they're doing. They know how to target people. They know how to target kids. So limit your children's access. Know what they're accessing. Know when they're accessing it. Um, also, know where your children are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, be very aware of their surroundings. Be very aware of who, of you, of who you leave them with. Um, you know, one of the problems with us growing up was that my dad was uh, a manual labor worker who was basically married to his job um, you know, for most of our childhood. And then my mom was just basically, I mean, she was kind of a stay-at-home mom, but we grew up at grandma's house, aunt and uncle's house. We just kind of grew up everywhere. Mm-hmm. So there was no stability. There was no consistency. There was no real true monitoring of what was going on in our lives. That's why this was able to go undetected for so long for me. Yeah. Um, so be aware of your children. Um, you know, be aware of who they're hanging out with, where they're going, what circumstances they're in, especially when they're young, when they're too mm-hmm. young to talk and let you know something's going on or when they're too young to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, have age-appropriate talks with your children, um, you know, about what is proper contact and, and proper touching and proper intimacy and yeah. what is not. You know, they need to understand. And then also um, break down the stigma of shame around sexuality. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying sit down and have the birds and the bees talk with your five-year-old. Yeah. But you need to find a way to communicate to your child if something is going on with you, if somebody's doing something to you, if somebody's touching you, if something is happening that's not appropriate. You need to have a communication with them so they understand that, hey, come tell mom, come tell dad, come tell grandma, come tell grandpa. Um, let somebody know. Yeah. So that they don't feel ashamed and, and perverse or like they're going to get in trouble if they report it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way, if God forbid, if something does happen to someone, you know, to a child or to a young person, then the, they at least can come to someone they love and know and trust and say, hey, this is going on in my life and it can be stopped. Yeah. Um, and also to young men and older men, especially this one is this is a big thing for me. Um, get rid of pornography. Mm-hmm at any cost yeah if you have to get in a support group uh if you have to get with your pastor or the men at church if you have to get in something like separate recovery pornographic material is a parasite of the mm-hmm. worst kind and there is no just looking at it casually there is no stopping when you want to um it is it degenerates the human mind yeah and so like what it does is when you get hooked on it it's just like a drug pretty soon your current fix yeah won't work you won't get the satisfaction off of it. So you got to go deeper. Then you, you've got to get into more hardcore, explicit material. You've got mm-hmm. to get into some very perverse things to say to serve that craving, and it's mm-hmm. never satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, pornographic addiction will take men and boys places they don't want to go, and I know because I've been to those places as a young man. And it's only by the grace of God I found my way back out. Yeah. Um, so I would urge men of any age. To get rid of pornography. Yeah. Get get rid of it. Don't flirt with it. Don't play with it. Don't watch it. Don't look at it. And then, you know, I, I like to think as a father of a daughter, that, you know, if you have a son, you're raising somebody's husband and father. Mm-hmm. You know, so I hope that men, I would encourage men not to buy into that old school of thought, you know, the whole drinking, loving, fighting, chasing women mindset. Yeah. You know, don't teach your, don't teach your sons. It's just part of the American 
teenage experience, you know, to be sexually curious and to, to, to look at dirty movies when you're 15, you know. Mm-hmm. No, teach them to live a life of purity and self-control yeah. and discretion. Um, don't encourage that because you're setting them up for failure. Yeah. Um, you're, you're setting them up to walk right into a trap. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I would tell men, you know, forget what dad and granddad told you. Forget the whole Southern John Wayne tough guy way of thinking. You know, if nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. And so if you're struggling with something, if you have issues, if you're struggling with pornograph addiction or or if there are things that are, you know, you know are not right in your life, if there are things you're dealing with behind closed doors and you don't say anything, you don't have anybody you can go to, um, because you're a man and that would be weak or, you know, make you a wimp or, mm-hmm. you know, forget that, mm-hmm. you know, have, have enough uh, self-accountability to go to somebody and say, hey, look, I've got some problems and I'm, I'm hiding them from the people I love mm-hmm. and I can't fix them. I can't do them by myself. I need some help. Um, and one of the most wonderful things about my involvement with Celebrate Recovery is it taught me about the value of accountability partners. Mm-hmm. Ian actually and I became accountability partners when I came to Foundry because we found out that we had a lot in common. And and I'm going to stay discreet because Ian's story is not mine to tell. But Ian and I found out that we had a lot in common. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we became accountability partners. And we check in with each other a couple times a week. He calls, I call, he texts, I text. He asks me, he says, hey, are you having a good week? Are you having a bad week? Uh, is there anything specifically I need to pray over or pray against in your life right now? Um, are you struggling with things or are you, are you holding on to your, you know, are, are you maintaining self-control? Are you having a good week? You know, and and just the fact that I know that at some point during the week that phone's going to call, he's going to be asking, mm-hmm. you know, hey, have you compromised any this week? Are you holding fast? Are you doing mm-hmm. good? Um because make no mistake about it, I still have my days. There are days when it would be very easy to falter. Yeah. But I have to remember what it was like where I used to be. Mm-hmm. And do I really want to go back there? Do I really want to go back to places that I had to literally pray and spiritually fight my way out of? Yeah. But even still, I'm, I'm human. So there are days that I have weakness. And there are days that it, it gets hard. Yeah. And it, it's, it gets harder and harder to protect yourself every day because porn is like so normalized now yeah. and you just you see it in everything and disguised in a lot yeah. of things like shows like different stuff like that yeah there's definitely in yeah. windows and stuff and the thing is we live in such a sexually inspired culture it's really mm-hmm. not even hidden anymore mm-hmm. um, you know it's in plain sight right and I mean, nobody's calling it that anymore you know you've got advertisements on tv Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got it. You've gotten it written into the scripts of television programs and movies. I mean, there's sexual intent everywhere. Yeah. And, and like you just said, we're not even hiding it anymore. I mean, it used to be that you know, intimacy, human intimacy, was so safeguarded behind so many layers of protection that you know you had to literally go seek it out to find it. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays it's right there at the the touch of your fingertips. I mean, we're not even trying to hide or or maintain accountability with our sexuality anymore. Yeah. And so it's like guys that have this problem, it's it's like they have to walk down the street with their eyes closed not to see it or be affected by it. Yeah. So there, it's very prevalent. We live in a very sexually prevalent culture. Um, and then, of course, everybody's got smart devices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I remember being a teenager struggling with porn the first time I figured out you could find it on the Internet. I was like, holy cow, 
You know, there's no magazine to hide under my bed. You know, there's no tape to hide in my underwear drawer so mom can't find it. This Mm -hmm. is awesome because I can get away with it. Yeah. But then mom could check the browser history on the computer. Mm -hmm. Um, And nowadays, everybody's got a smartphone in their hands, and with one click, you can be looking at a porn website. And it is went, and I'm going to tell you something, porn in nature, from the porn that I was addicted to when I was a kid in the late 90s, early 2000s, it has gotten way more perverse. Yeah. Like the porn today is like so much darker and nastier and worse than what I what I saw as a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I don't want to go into any great detail, you know, but it's like not only is it more accessible, it's more poisonous. It's yeah. worse. Um, and and this, this is something I have a huge heart for as a man and then also as the father of a little girl. You know, in, in, in being instrumental in combating in our society and, you know, not only battling it as an advocate, but then battling, you know, the stigma. And, and you know, I've learned, a, and one of the things I've learned to celebrate recovery doing some of the studies with the guys is that as humans, we tend to rationalize and justify. Yeah. So like you said, we have a lot of sexually explicit intent in our culture all around us and we justify it. Yep. We rationalize it. And so I'm one of those guys that, you know, because I, I've, I've been where I've been, I'm one of those guys that's quick to stand up and call, you know, call BS on it. Mm-hmm. And you call it, call it exactly for what it is and say that is a lie and a, a trap right from the pit of hell, yeah. you know, and try to help lead guys away from it. Um, because there's nothing more painful as a man for me than struggling with something like that and feeling disgusting and stained and broken and knowing something's wrong yeah but not knowing how to fix it mm-hmm. and then thinking you know if my if my wife could only see this you know or if my children could only see that daddy struggles with this yeah you know oh my gosh what would they think of me if my grandmother you know who literally prophesied over my life to the mm-hmm. day she died could see me in those moments where I'm hiding in my bedroom you know, doing this thing or looking at this thing, what would people think? Yeah. Um, and so I want to try to use whatever time I have left on this earth that God has given me to help influence as many people's lives as I can, especially especially men and young boys. Yeah. Like I have, a, I have a huge heart for godly masculinity, mm-hmm. you know, and teaching young men, you know, you be a man, not, I mean, don't do that whole like drinking, loving, fighting, screwing, you know, John Wayne thing your dad told you, your mm-hmm. grandpa told you. You be a man according to who God says is a man. Amen. You know, yes. God's word has a standard for kingdom manship. Yeah. There, there's an order and a standard to what God says makes a man a man. Yeah. And so I try to encourage people, you know, I try to encourage men in my life and men around me, you be a man according to those standards. Yeah. You know, um, and, and if you're raising a son, you keep in mind, you're raising somebody's husband. Mm-hmm. You're raising somebody's father. Yeah. So, you know, that responsibility is on you. You know, um, I hate Southern typical cultural masculinity in all its forms. Um, I hate sexual addiction. I hate the fact that, you know, children get sexually molested every day. Yeah. Um, it breaks my heart because I've lived in that moment. I've known that pain. Um, and the fact that it, it is so, it's on such a global scale. I mean, when I was a kid, I'd never even heard the phrase sex trafficking. Mm. You know, right. I was born in 88. I was a 90s baby. I didn't know what that was, yeah. you know. 
Um, and nowadays, it's an international epidemic. Children are being snatched up all over the globe, and, and women are being sold into prostitution rings and mm-hmm. sex trafficking rings. And all of this, all of these are branches on the tree that is sexual addiction. Yeah. And knowing that this exists in our world breaks my heart. Yeah. It shatters my heart. And so if anybody should be formulating a response, it should be the church. Yeah. You know, and especially within the church, those of us that that have come back from from these these particular struggles and, and, and the, these particular chains, you know, those of us who God has broke these particular chains in our lives, we need to be telling our stories from the rooftops. Yeah. We need to be advocating. We need to be testifying. We need to be account being accountability partners to people. We need to be investing so back in the lives of other people like us mm. that struggle with the same thing that we survived. Because if we... You know, the word says, who lights, a, who lights a candle sticks it under a bush or a city on a hill cannot be hid. If us as survivors don't speak up, mm-hmm. how are the ones still fighting the battle that we're going to have any hope? Yeah. You know, they can't. Mm-hmm. Without our testimony, they have no hope. So yeah. it's on our shoulders. Now that we have survived, we have a duty to go back for the others and bring them out. Yeah. And that's where my heart is. My heart is completely burdened for for those things because yeah. I want to see others find their uh, recovery like I did. Yeah. Um, you know, and, cel- and the good thing is celebrate recovery allows me to do that because that's one that's one thing a lot of men deal with and that's that's one thing that bring a lot of men to celebrate recovery. Mm-hmm. And in the seclusion of that men's group, they find security in being able to open up and be vulnerable. Yeah. Then you have guys like me and others who can say, hey brother, I've been there, I fought that fight. God mm-hmm. brought me out, I'm free today yeah. and and you can be there too we're, we're going to help you get there i love that you know and so that's where my heart is that's really awesome yeah that was a that was a powerful testimony and i'm really really grateful that you're willing to share that mm-hmm. and i be telling people like crazy to come <laughs> listen to this because that was that was really good that was really impactful well and, I, I think it's yeah. a word not that it has anything to do with me or oh no god's using you but, but i think it's it. a word that needs to be heard in this society yeah um we, we're losing so many young men mm-hmm. um and, and young women and see it's a, it's a double yeah. thing people it's not just that, men not just men that struggle with it at all People think that little boys never get molested. They they think only pedophilia and sexual molestation only happens to girls. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, it's 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 commonly misconstrued that women can't struggle with porn or addiction or sexual yeah. addiction or this or this or this. Mm-hmm. And and so we lose so many people every day to this because our our culture is so sexually indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. And so I think awareness, advocacy, and combating of this this particular um, addiction or vice in life, I think people need to, I think this word needs to be heard, you know, um, because the Bible has a lot to say and we don't have time to go there or not, but the Bible has a lot to say about godly sexuality, about sexual uh, fornication, about sexual sin. Mm -hmm. um, And it's one of the biggest, most powerful arrows that the devil can throw at us because Paul says anything else we do outside of the body, we don't do directly to ourselves, but he who sins sexually or sins against his own body sins against his self. Yeah. And your body is a temple. So carry yourself as a temple. God is all about purity and righteousness of the body, of our intimacy, of our character, mm-hmm. of what we're doing when nobody's looking, of what we're looking at on the internet. And and God cares. I know that I know that the Bible 
happened a long time ago, but the God of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the God of 2022. Yep. So God cares about what you're looking at on the internet. God cares about what you're browsing out yep. on your phone. God cares if you're doing fantasy and role playing and chat rooms and, mm-hmm. and sexting and, and and then of course oh it just goes on and on. We've got Snapchat now. We've got twelve year olds sending nudes to each other on yep. Snapchat. I mean, and these kids aren't even they're not they they don't even know what's going on in the world yet. They're they're stripping down naked and, and sending each other nude pictures this thing is so deep and it's it's so much deeper than just looking at a playboy or a hustler like it was 30 years ago yeah i mean this thing is so monumental on so many different levels um it's so huge yeah and and i i I really really reiterate my position on that this is a word that people need to hear Mm -hmm. doesn't have anything to do with me but this vice and this addiction and this attack of the devil, it's so prevalent in our world. We need a we need a massive callback to purity and righteousness. Yeah. And and I'm gonna tell you something else. It happens inside the church as much as it does outside the church. Yep. In fact, um a lot of times it happens I think more so in the church. Mm. Pastors, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, mm. these men that are that are influencing young lives are struggling with pornography when nobody's looking. Yeah. You know, so this is one more that the church cannot afford to take lightly. We have to fight this thing on every front. Absolutely. Um, and I think this is a word that the world and, and the church need to hear. People need to be more preemptive about fighting this thing in particular. Yeah. Because it is so toxic. It's so poisonous and it does so much damage. And it's a mm-hmm. silent killer. It's not like drugs or alcohol where you can see the outward repercussions of the addiction it's all internal yeah and people will openly defend it as well you know nobody ever suspected for a long time that i went through what i went through Mm -hmm. and then when i finally started being open they're like oh my gosh i never knew yeah yeah i know because it's the silent killer and Mm -hmm. it it literally destroyed it does mental and emotional neurological damage over a certain period of time I think they've even proven that like increased pornographic consumption does neurological damage to the receptors in the brain. So yeah. it can even do like um, irreparable damage to the to the brain. Wow, that's insane. I mean, you basically think about like the pistons in your car. I mean, you run them. I mean, you run your engine hot until until the motor basically explodes. Well, if you overstimulate the brain with porn over a certain period of time, those receptors that give you that reaction, that high, that response, they quit working, mm-hmm. you know, because you nothing satisfies them anymore. So you can actually, I, you know, if I, if I remember from my studies correctly, you can actually do neurological damage to the brain yeah. over a lifetime of, of watching porn. You know, porn, porn is dangerous on so many levels. Yeah. And then what it does is most people that struggle with porn, a lot of times offenders were victims themselves or porn addicts themselves. And so it, it leads you to, it drives you to find satisfaction on a degenerative level to eventually, you know, watching it on the screen won't do anymore. Then you have to, you have to live it out mm. to find satisfaction. And then that's where predators come from. Yeah. Because, because they're, they're now beyond the point of viewing. They want to live out and role play their fantasies. Mm. Um, and then, and that's where you get sexual predators from. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and these things are, Oh, they're so terrible in our world that we 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 we're not doing nearly enough to combat it. Yeah. Um. And and I think that advocacy and and just completely being up front and out in the open and calling a spade a spade is one of the only ways we're ever going to do that. Yeah. You gave um you gave advice for people that like have kids mm-hmm. and 
is there like a final piece of advice you could give just period, whether it's for victims or for just anyone in general? One thing, I, and I didn't think to, to address this, but relationships. Mm-hmm. One thing that I really like to touch on. Yeah. A lot of couples use, you know, porn in relationships and mm-hmm. they use toys and devices and these things and, yeah. you know, to stimulate or bring the splash back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to get on that subject as far as whether I think that's godly or not godly. Um, obviously, I think using pornography is ungodly. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not going to get off into that other tangent, but I think in relationships, um, because this often ruins marriages mm. um, and even dating relationships that haven't led to marriage. Um, I would encourage people, especially men in relationships, whether it's a dating relationship or a marriage, be very open with your partner. Communicate if you start seeing warning signs. Before it ever gets to the point to where it's quote unquote a problem, go to your wife, go to your partner, and say, "Hey, look, this is starting to become a thing." So before this thing gets out of hand, I'm, I'm coming to you saying, "Hey, I need help." Or, "Hey, this is starting to become a problem for me. Um, I'm starting to crave this. Um, help me fight this before it becomes a problem, before yeah. it destroys our family." Um, so there again, communication in relationships. I would encourage people in relationships and, and young women if you're dating guy. You know, ask questions. You know, mm-hmm. he may not like you. He may get uncomfortable, <laughs> but it's better than him coming to a position of, of possible rape or force. Yeah. You know, um, ask questions. Check on your partner. Communicate. Be transparent. Be open. Yeah. Talk. The more you, more we talk about this and address this and pull back, pull back the curtain, the more we're going to combat it. So yeah, I, I would definitely encourage also in relationships communicate. Yeah. Talk about what's going on. Check on each other. And don't be flirting with things like this for the sake of enhancement of your relationship because it's not worth it. Yeah, it's not. Communication is key with this particular struggle, mm-hmm. as is with any other struggle. But specifically, you know, drawing the curtains, picking up the rug, seeing what's swept under there, yeah. talking, getting getting the skeletons out of the closet transparency and communication is the way to beat this thing and so I would encourage anyone who's struggling with this or anyone who thinks they have a loved one that may be struggling with this or anyone who thinks there is a child that may be susceptible or may have already fallen victim mm-hmm. talk poke prod get information you know throw the shades let some light in on it communicate um, don't let it remain in the darkness because that's where it gains all of its power yeah that's really good yep. Well, thank you everybody who has listened to this so far. And I hope that this has opened your eyes. It's opened my eyes. I've never, for one, I've never heard like research to this extent, like on the topic, because it is one that's so thrown under the rug. So that's, that's really big. I hope y'all learned a lot and hope we'll tune in next time. But thank you so much, Justin, for being on here and sharing. Mm -hmm. It was really awesome. Really amazing. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. (laughs)